Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. And I'm Libby Edwards. On our show today, New York City public advocate Jumani Williams breaks down Mayor Adams' blueprint to end gun violence and urges the city to structuralize a community focus in the plan by creating and funding structures that address the root causes of gun violence. Gays Against Guns founding member activist J.W. Walker interviews Jumani, who reminds us that the struggle to end violence has a long human history, while calling us to a moral imperative to stop these preventable killings here and now. Finally, Jumani lays out the concerns of elected officials and public interest groups over the upcoming Supreme Court ruling on New York State's right to issue gun permits. Thank you, Libby. And now our radio gag interview with Jumani Williams, public advocate of New York City. Good afternoon, listeners. We're here on Radio Gag. Libby Edwards, I'm Sarah Lilly, Jay Walker, and our public advocate, Jumani Williams. And I just want to welcome Jumani. I'm Libby Edwards. Welcome, Jumani. Hi, J.W. Walker, one of the founding members of Gays Against Guns. Really, really thankful to have uh, you on today, Mr. Public Advocate. Uh, Your support of our work, uh, your support of the resistance work that's occurred in New York City over the last five years has been inspiring and very impactful. So we are so glad to have you on today just to to get your take on Mayor Adams's uh, blueprint for uh, gun violence prevention. Um, So why don't we let you uh, take it away and give us some of your thoughts and then maybe we'll have a few questions. Well, thank you so much, Sarah Libby. And of course, Jay, peace and blessings, love and light to everyone. Jack, the last time, I, I think we were at a, a press conference at City Hall. Was it City Hall? I think it was. It was maybe it was yeah. a press conference. I don't remember what it is. But you laid it down as usual. So uh, it's always always good to hear you speak. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the kind words. You know, um, obviously, we'll probably get to, you know, some of the places of disagreement with the blueprint. But I, I do want to start off by saying something that the media is not picking up. There is a good amount of agreement on this blueprint. Again, I wanna, I wanna make sure I say that because um, I put out a report 10 years ago um, and we put out two reports since I've been public advocate. The last one was two weeks ago about how to address gun violence. And the, a lot of that is beginning to be incorporated in a way we just have been unable to get any administration to. And so we thank the former mayor for putting some money into some of these community groups but we can never get them to understand the need to structuralize these things into a real public safety conversation. You know, most of the times they kind of were at the kids table and the PD was at the adults table and that's not the way it works. And so I, I just want to start off by saying that I'm, I'm very happy that some of that is being put into the blueprint. I, I, it is extraordinary because we've been saying for so long that we have to get a city, state and federal response. So to have the president here uh, speaking about this, trying to say their work together is phenomenal. Like it just, it's just something we've been asking for for such a long time. And we have the supply and we have the demand. The supply is the guns that are flowing into our cities every single day. We've always said 
that needs a federal response. We, we have to do something about this gun violence coming in. So as far as law enforcement is concerned, I'm happy to hear that they're going to begin to focus on enforcing the laws that even already exist on trafficking. Uh, I think you talked about changing uh, from, you know, 10, for, for, I don't know why you need 10 illegal guns to be listed as a trafficker. I think they're dropping it down to a three or something like that, which I think is great uh, to have several states and interagencies focus on that uh, is fantastic. Uh, but I do think as well, in terms of law enforcement, the, the court system is not moving fast enough. We've been saying that for a very long time. And so, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily more police per se, because the, they've been arresting, I don't know if folks know, we've gotten record numbers of, numbers of guns off the street last year, 6,000 uh, last year, record number. Uh, in the past month or so, I think we're over 400. So this, the aspect that we know law enforcement is a necessary component we just haven't talked about the other components in a way we should have, and they're not funded as well as they should be. Uh, but in terms of what they we want them to do, they're actually doing it. And so we have to figure out why is it not moving to the court system? Let's let's get it through. Either someone's guilty and they, they, they do their time in a way that can help them be better when they come back out, or they go home. Um, but to have these cases out there, you know, makes no sense. To hear him and see the president go to a, a crisis management system area, uh, Kate Maines, a brother from another of mine, who was with me when we wrote that report 10 years ago as my legislative director to see the work he's doing now, the human justice model that's being pushed is fantastic. Um, we do wanna see some more of the community led initiatives a little more drawn out. It seems like there's a lot more detail on the law enforcement side than there is on the community side. So we have to flesh that out some more in a real way. We have some ideas. We've been sharing some of, some of those ideas. Integrating them into different agencies is something that's already been accepted which is great. So I, I wanna start there. Now, obviously there are a few points of uh, distinction that have been pointed out. Uh, you know, the bail reform and, and raise the age are, are two that I have still not been convinced that the numbers bear out that there should be a change. Um, there are states that have never changed their bail um, and consider dangerousness now. And their cities actually have more of a gun violence problem than we do. So uh, this is a national problem that can't be blamed just on New York City. And if you look at raise the age, I mean, that may change if you accept their argument, the demographic of who does a shooting, lower or higher. I don't want the shooting to happen to begin with. And so that's what I really, really want to focus on. Facial recognition is another place where there's just complete agreement, uh, disagreement. And facial recognition is problematic, literally was designed on the framework of a white male and further away you are from that. It showed disastrous results before you even get to the civic conversation. And then lastly, I know I'm speaking a lot, um, you know, the uh, the new units, I don't want to get it wrong. It's the neighborhood intervention units. I believe people are speaking about them in the way we spoke of, of plainclothes units before. Uh, what I'll say there is um, I have some major concerns. Uh, it's hard to say that you don't need any law enforcement when it comes to this. But we have concerns about what is this unit going to be doing that the police department isn't already doing in making the arrests that they're making. And uh, if it is like the units before, we've seen some just major problems and some of the most headlined uh, just catastrophes that have happened where innocent people were killed. Uh, we're concerned about that. And so I'm waiting for more answers about that in particular and, and see how that plays out. Um, so I just want to make sure we laid out, you know, where we agreed uh, and then probably my guess is we want probably want to get into uh, where there's some disagreement. But I am happy that this is on a stage that it hasn't been before. A lot of times we're talking about mass shootings. 
want to talk about gun violence that have been killing black and brown people daily in this country for a long time. And I feel like that's happening. Absolutely. And, and yeah, that, that was a big response because it is a big issue. It's a big issue that crosses over into so many different areas of jurisprudence, of law enforcement, of, of community, um, community safety. You are listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show here on listener-sponsored radio, WBAI 99.5 FM. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. We are speaking today with New York City's public advocate, Jumani Williams, about Mayor Eric Adams' blueprint to end gun violence. Next up, Jumani and Jay get real about the raise the age point in the blueprint and its implications for youth. And Jumani gives a great community definition of snitching. There are some issues that I saw in the blueprint, you know, that gave me cause for concern. There's a a stipulation that if a, a youth of age 16 or 17 is caught with a gun and they refuse to put their life in danger possibly by revealing whoever they got that gun from. And we know that gangs, when they are forcing kids into gangs, give them weapons, force them to commit violence, or you know, uh, force them to, uh, to hold these guns. And uh, that if they don't give away who gave them the gun, then they face adult charges as opposed to going through the juvenile system. It reminds, you know, in, in a few of the other aspects of this remind me of, in, in many ways, the, the way that laws were done in the war on drugs, where it seemed, and, and uh, the, the, the um, uh, laws against sex work, where, the, where the, the people with the least amount of power get the biggest brunt of the enforcement and the incarceration, and the folks who are making all of the money from from whatever uh, you know, from whatever enterprise we're talking about, uh, seem to seem to get away with it for for far far longer periods of time. You know, uh, I always try to make sure that we broaden discussions and humanize discussions, and so that really gets into the no snitching code. Uh, and one, I've always just tried to make sure people have misunderstood that, even for communities. Like we, the definition of snitching is if you've been if you were involved in a crime and you got caught doing it with someone. And, and you telling them that is, you know, that's probably the definition. Uh, but if grandma sees something happen in her neighborhood, um, someone's head get blown off, that that's not snitching. That's you're trying to get your taxpaying dollars to protect you. And I, and I understand that. But I always want to make sure we're talking about it in totality because people pretend you laid out some good reasons why this would be dangerous, but people try to pretend this is not a human way of thinking. And so I always want to bring in the blue wall of silence because that always gets left out. Yes. Um, the same kind of cold. And so if we're going to focus on it, let's just focus on it because we have, you know, just yesterday, I think it was Frank Serpico just got his Medal of Honor after 50 years because he had the audacity uh, to talk about the, um, the corruption that was going on in the police department. That has a chilling effect on anyone else who wants to talk about what's going on. So I always want to just make sure I bring in the blue wall of silence when we're discussing it. Because if we're going to discuss it, we have to discuss it on both ways. Um, but to your point, that is correct. Um, I try to focus on how to prevent the shootings, to try to prevent it from going on in the first place. There is a point where you have to have consequences for your actions. And we understand that. 
Um, there is another point where you build on those consequences and you make it long, you make it harsher, um, and it doesn't have an effect on stopping the shooting to begin with. And so that young person uh, putting them in that kind of pressure, I'm not sure will prevent another shooting, but may actually put themselves and their families in danger. And what you've done now is made it clear that if they got now tried and as, as an adult, then they didn't snitch. If they got tried as a youth, then maybe they did. And so mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that is the best way to go about it. I do understand that people are scared and people are afraid. And when that happens, they want to see action. We have to be careful because fear has been used uh, to harm communities. And often we, we try to strengthen and, and only the law enforcement side. We try to throw law enforcement in it, at it, uh, jail, prison. And then we just end up apologizing a few years later. We did that with three strikes and you're out. Um, it didn't really get to the problems that folks wanted it to get to. And then we apologized a couple of decades later. It, same thing with the abuses, the stop question and frisk. We said that that actually by their own numbers was not dealing with the gun violence. Uh, and they stopped and even, I remember the Daily News our editorial said we were wrong. And so, you know, we know that unfortunately crime goes up and down. Many of us have been saying when this pandemic was going on, that this was going to get worse if we do not address the issue. We said it from the beginning. In 2018 and 2019, we were the safest we'd ever been. I always say, if you're a victim of crime, by the way, data means absolutely nothing to you. But when you when you look at it, we were going really well doing the things many of us were pushing, even though we met so much resistance. And it boggles my mind that people are now looking back at that time and comparing it because the very same people who are pushing some of the things we disagree with were saying that in 2018, 2019, when we actually were safe, uh, much safer than we had ever been. And so we actually know what works. We have to have the courage to move it forward. Um, and that's that's the intersection that I've always tried to work in because they tried very much to put you in these anti this and that category. And I'm like, no, we just want to use evidence-based models that work. We just want to get to the root causes of the gun violence to take away the demand and pension for even using that violence to begin with. And that's where our catalysts have a lot of opportunity. And that's where we actually started doing and seeing some good work in 2018, 2019. And then the pandemic struck. And so uh, we do understand our law enforcement partners have, have an important role. We lost two of them a couple of weeks ago. The type of people that you'd want in the NYPD for all intents and purposes. Uh, and they lost their, 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 their lives. And so we, under, we understand that we wanna honor them by not putting them in situations that um, they are probably not the best people to always respond to and trying to get them to solve all of the problems that other agencies need to be involved in and community groups. And the same 30 precincts where these new neighborhood units are supposed to be focused on, my question has been, and I'm waiting for the answers, what are the other agencies doing? So are, are we sending anything else to those 30 precincts? Because clearly those 30 precincts have problems. I would bet money that they had problems long before the pandemic that people were trying to solve. Lastly, people always say, you know, these communities are asking for more police. I said, you know, that that may be true. They've also asked for more heat and and hot water and nitrogen. They've also asked not to be breathing in mold. They've also asked for their school system to have sports programs. They've asked for health care and mental health services. They've asked for more than potato chips to feed their children. They've asked for jobs to help pay for better housing. Nobody's heard that for some reason. But whenever they say police, oh, let's let's go. It's the same amount of money. Uh, And that's not to say, again, that you have an excuse. You're not excused 
to shoot an 11 month old child. You're not excused to shoot someone in Burger King who's trying to be responsible and earn a living. Like you just, there's no excuse for that. And it has to be accountability and there has to be consequences for that. At the same time, we tend to spend more money, time, structure on that part than the prevention to begin with. And that's, that's an immoral place to be. Very, very true. And you saved me from, from asking the question about, about the need for mental health services. Go back to the, to the blueprint uh, for gun violence in, in one particular aspect. And that is that, you know, as Gays Against Guns has been working on trying to, to get the, the idea of the iron pipeline into the public discourse for quite some time, we're really glad to see that, you know, I'm hearing it on all my local news channels. I'm seeing that phrase. People are starting to understand about how this trafficking is working uh, and how uh, you know, New York's very strong gun laws kind of necessitate that trafficking in a weird way in that people cannot get access to guns the way that you can in Texas, going to the store, what have you. But now we're in a circumstance where there is a Supreme Court case in New York State a Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, which has already been argued last fall at the Supreme Court uh, and with a six to three conservative majority, we're really concerned that strong gun laws that New York has had on the books for over a hundred years are going to be eviscerated. And then we won't be dealing with just the, the iron pipeline and illegal guns. We're gonna have the added problem of legally purchased guns being used in crimes because suddenly folks that were unable to get their hands on guns legally in New York had to rely on the iron pipeline and 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 uh, illegal weapons dealers, et cetera, are now going to be able to go and, and purchase a gun, get be able to get that license. And so I wonder if in your discussions with the governor, with the mayor, with folks on the federal level, if 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 folks are starting to think ahead to that very, very real possible eventuality. So. Yeah, you know, first, you know, mental health is always so important. I've been very open about, uh, I think I've been in therapy since about six years now. <laughs> Praise God for that. Uh, I'm married, about to have a, uh, a newborn. I don't think I'd have gotten to therapy. Thank you so much. And I have a, a stepdaughter. Um, and I don't know how I would have fared in this world right now with the pandemic without having access to that. And so I, it, I'm so saddened to think of young people who are just beginning to process the world uh, and what they have to deal with right now. And we said that when they, you're gonna shove them back to school with no processing um, and no uh, ability to process, even in a community that is, has a hard time talking about mental health uh, to begin with. And so we said this, we're gonna be problems, as you mentioned, all over from airports to suicides increasing. We're seeing that you add to that, the increase in gun sales that have gone up, you knew there was going to be a problem. Uh, to, mm -hmm. um, to your point, the, the the focus has to be on guns. And so I know that we want to focus on illegal guns, which we should. But I have to remind folks, every illegal gun was legal at some point. Right. And so the access unfettered to all manner of guns is a problem. 4% of the world's population, almost half of all civilian guns are in this country. That is a problem like i always say we have a demonic obsession with guns uh we pretend it's simply just the the second amendment and it's not um it is just our overwhelming desire to have every gun humanly possible to your point i am very concerned 
and I'm not sure what the answer is about that Supreme Court decision. You know, the answer to gun violence is just not more guns. It's just, it's never, never been a, a solution the way you just get more guns and um, you have less gun violence. First of all, you know, you don't, you don't even, you don't need any training at all to shoot a gun. You don't need any licensure, I mean, true licensure. You don't need any um, insurance. It's just wild, man. All that thing does is kill and maim. Yet you can just go up in places and buy and buy weapons of war with no training at all. And you know, it's hard to compare what happens to places that are rural that have access to some of these guns uh, and give the same kind of access to places, metropolises all over. Um, you know, people driving in cars and getting cut off. And you know, I don't know if you saw the video, man. Thought he said he thought he was getting shot at. Somebody threw a water bottle on him. He yes. Just firing. And just started shooting, firing through his own windshield. Yeah. It's wild. Like, I am I'm very, I'm very nervous about it. I mean, and what's shocking is these law enforcement agencies who supported a president who supports more guns in these, in these places is just remarkable to me. I think it's going to have a chilling effect. There's nothing, there's nothing to be said about that. I'm hoping we can work our laws around whatever it is that they point out. Uh, but as you know, people mistakenly say, oh, look, these cities have gun laws and it's still gun violence. And that's because everybody else's laws are lax or, and we're not, we haven't been um, really focused uh, on the trafficking part of it. There was a study, I think it was in Chicago, it must have been like 60 or 70% of the guns they found were from surrounding areas that had laxer gun laws than they exactly. did in Chicago. And so the, the, the answer is actually trying to get some of these guns off and strengthening the, the trafficking uh, laws to get the traffickers, uh, the higher level traffickers. The answer is not getting more guns for everybody without any training at all. And I stopped going on Tucker Carlson because he just drove over the deep end long ago. But there was a time where you actually could have a conversation with Tucker. And I remember one time I finally got him to admit that guns were a part of gun violence. It was remarkable to me <laughs> to get people to just understand who pretend like guns have nothing to do with gun violence. And I mean, we I, I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping one day, you know, facts will make a comeback. And that will be a great time period, but you know, I'm I'm scared about that one. I wish I had. Rarely do I not have an answer to something, but it, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. And I'm, and I'm wondering, just you know, in your in your conversations with other um, elected officials, have have any others expressed concern yes. about the Supreme Court case? Are people there is a thinking a lot of concern? in the electoral spaces about this. Believe it or not, there's a lot of concern even when you talk to law enforcement folks. I think even some of the same, same unions who supported the former president are concerned. Um, but, you know, policies that, you know, things based in fear and bigotry often override any kind of intelligence and common sense. And so um, we saw that happen. You know, so even people who are concerned still did the thing that would make matters even worse. 
Yeah, it's kind of astounding how easily it is to convince people to vote against their own self-interests yeah. by appealing to their their lizard brain, by appealing to that that part of them that's just all about hating other, uh, seizing power. You know that sort of really basic place. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of astounding. And yet we see it happen over and over and over again in human society. I mean, it's a whole nother conversation, but it's like a playbook. <laughs> And that playbook, like nobody, haven't you never read the playbook? Like it gets, we're, we're doing it exactly the way it's done all over. Like this is not just Germany, Rwanda, like, like everywhere. You have to do certain things before you can kill and destroy that many people. Um, and we're, we're following that playbook and I'm very concerned about it. Um, you know, it's a whole, that's another conversation, I guess, for another day. But, uh, I, you know, people, I think, think it's hyperbole, but our democracies in, in, bad shape right now <laughs> oh yeah yeah absolutely we are we are we are quite possibly at the end of empire if we don't do something really quickly to 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 change our course uh you know i could you could see us devolving into into something that is even worse than the last four years were a whole lot of guns attitude yeah absolutely you know i, I mean you know, the, the thing about gun violence too it's it's so preventable yeah it's so preventable. Look at I, Australia. I remember, and I've started saying this in my in some of these press conferences. Dominic Sylvester, Teresa Stones, Alex Rodriguez—they were all uh, Je- Jeffrey Whitehead. They were shot and killed when I was in high school. These people mm. I went to high school with. Mm. I remember their names. I remember what they looked like. I remember people saying we, the police in our communities, would be pre- be able to prevent that, and it didn't. Right. So I'm like, we. We should learn lessons that we've already learned. <laughs> we have to, don't have to learn them again. And I keep repeating, this is not to say that law enforcement don't have a role because they do. The question is, where are the other things that promote and contribute to public safety? Why they're not being funded? Why they're not being structuralized? Why are people being demonized for even bringing these things up? And so to that end, at least, uh, this man's blueprint of thinking about those other things in a way that hasn't been thought about in a long time. And um, I'm excited about that. And hopefully the places where we disagree, uh, we can, you know, get some movement on. Uh, but Giuliani gets a lot of credit for the stuff that Dinkins did. And he did Safe Trees, Safe Cities. And that model was at least a two-path model. Um, and so I'm excited at least that this mayor is thinking about it and, and really trying to structure it. And I have worked with him before on these issues, so I know he believes it. So I'm excited about it, but I also know he believes the other stuff too. So we gotta, we're gonna, we're gonna try to work on some of those things. But you know, I, I do think, you know, no one else support the president here, and so it's just a, it's a great opportunity. I hope we, hope we move forward with the learned lessons. Well, thank you very much. We're just really glad that your voice is in the room when these issues are discussed. Uh, at that level, because I, I think I think that we can we know that we can rely on you to look at these issues from every angle, not just from the law enforcement angle, not just from the angle of privilege, but to be able to see the full picture. And that's why we had you on today. And we're so, so glad that you were able to join us. Thank you so much for sharing your perspectives with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you all. You are listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show here on listener-sponsored commercial radio, WBAI 99.5 FM. 
We are here every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. And you can hear even more of our conversation with Jumani on our Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to our Radio Gag team, especially Libby Edwards, J.W. Walker, at Ant, the Office of the Public Advocate, for arranging this interview. And I am Sarah Germaine Lilly. To find out more about working with us, please go to gaysagainstguns.net or follow us at Gays Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about our meetings and actions. Come to a meeting. Here in New York, we meet one Thursday a month at 7 p.m. on Zoom and in Manhattan, where we meet in person at the LBGTQ Center on 13th Street. Remember, all are welcome to come to gag meetings. So, listeners, thank you for your monthly contribution of $5 to $25. That can really help keep Radio Gag on the air here at WBAI to keep the issue of gun violence in front of the public and our elected officials. Just go to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thank you. So now it's time to finish the show. Thanks for listening. And we are back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. Be sure to listen to our Valentine's Day Parkland Action Special on Monday, February 14th at a new time, 6 to 7 p.m. during the WBAI News Hour. We'll hear from family members and survivors of the shooting, including Manuel Oliver of Change the Ref and Igor Volsky of Guns Down America. They will be calling in from an action in Washington, D.C., and Gag will be sharing a bloody Valentine greeting as well. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform, where you can find extended interviews this week with Jumani Williams. Thanks to our Radio Gag team, and I am Sarah Germaine Lilly. Extra special thanks to Libby Edwards, our co-producer, and J.W. Walker and Jumani Williams and the team at the Office of the Public Advocate. Thanks for listening and have a great, safe day.